You're listening to the Garden City Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Garden City is doing, you can go to GardenCityNW.com slash give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Hello, Garden City. I'm excited to kick off our summer teaching series on the I am statements, statements that Jesus made about himself, who he is, and what that means for us, what we can learn about him and how we can better follow him. Uh, Today, we're looking at John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, and specifically looking at what does it mean and look like to abide? Let me set the scene for us. This is believed to take place during the Last Supper, Jesus is about to be captured and murdered, and these are his final moments and teachings with his disciples. He is preparing them for when he will no longer be with them. Jesus has just gotten done washing his disciples' feet. He promised the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit. And although John's gospel doesn't document the famous Last Supper communion moment, this is taking place during that very same meal. And Jesus leans across the table and he says in verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me, dwell in me, remain in me, and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like branches and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This conjures the idea of hell for many of us, but many scholars don't believe that's the intention, rather that they, because of their lack of fruit, They are now being used for a lesser task of being used as fuel as you would with dried out wood. It continues in verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Now, Jesus isn't introducing a new metaphor here. He's carrying on an old one. If you were a first century Jew, divine imagery would not be lost on you. All through the Old Testament, which would have been their Bible at the time, the imagery of the vine and the branches was commonly used to describe Israel. Like in Psalm 80, you brought a vine out of Egypt and drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took deep root and filled the land. Now, Israel was to be a people of God's blessing to the world, but they struggled and they struggled and they did not bear the fruit of God's blessing. Jesus here is inviting them back to abide in him. Now, what comes to mind for you when you hear the word abide? Maybe it's the dude. I know for me, for many years, abiding always meant waking up early, doing devotional, listening to worship music and journaling. And those are all great aspects of abiding and excellent and powerful spiritual practices. But let's read on and see how Jesus unpacks this idea of abiding. Verse nine, he says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So if we keep his commands, we will abide in his love. So does that mean that following the rules equals abiding? That's certainly what the Pharisees thought, but it didn't lead them to abiding 
it led them to self-righteousness and completely missing Jesus when he was standing right in front of them. So he goes on to tell us, verse 12, this is my commandment. It gives us a direct commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And how has he loved us? He goes on to tell us, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. This, my friends, is abiding. To love one another with self-sacrificial love, putting each other's needs above our own. It's not merely an individualistic spiritual practice, but a community practice. We have to remember that Jesus was teaching a group of people how to live in him together. This is also a callback to something Jesus said earlier in the meal around the very same table in verse 14 when he said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By Jesus giving this new commandment, all the other commands are held in this one to love one another. Now, being that we are at Garden City Church, I would be remiss if I did not highlight the imagery of trees and gardens in this passage. It starts with verse one saying, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. This reminds us of another moment when God is called a gardener. The story of the garden at the beginning of Genesis, where there is this tree of life that mankind was to eat from, abide with. This was God's plan for flourishing and fruitfulness. But man chose to eat of the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And it unleashes sin and brokenness because when we choose our own path, we tend to choose that which is a benefit to us, at least initially, but disadvantages others, which leads to systematic brokenness and the opposite of flourishing, the opposite of the selfless love that Jesus is teaching, the opposite of the abiding that Jesus is inviting them back to. Jesus in his last moments with his disciples is reminding them of the tree at the beginning of it all and inviting them back to abide, which is what? To love one another, but not just with any love, but with self-sacrificial love, which he is about to demonstrate himself by being hung upon a tree. So what does this look like practically for us? Love has many facets and applications, but for me, one of the ways this plays out is this idea of reconciliation. It's easy to get offended or hurt by someone and just write them off rather than pursue reconciliation or to humble ourselves when we realize we may have offended someone and ask for forgiveness, it's so much easier to write them off and just avoid. But especially as Christians, if we believe that we're all headed to the same place, we're all gonna get to heaven and be like, wait, you're here? <laughs> so we might as well work this stuff out now. And one tool that has been helpful for me in doing this is this idea of assuming positive intent. I'm gonna teach this as a really simple practice, but I'm gonna lay this out. It's, it's, uh, it's been very powerful in, in, in my life. If somebody offends us or somebody does something that hurts our feelings, rather than jumping to conclusions about why they may have done that, this practice of assuming positive intent assumes the best about their intentions until otherwise. So a conversation would look like, let's say somebody bumped into me in, in the hallway and it bothered me. I could go to that person and say, hey, I'm, I'm sure you didn't mean this, but when you bumped into me in the hallway, it really hurt my feelings or it really made me feel unseen. 
Now this gives this person dignity and they're able to then either say, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you're right. That wasn't a very nice thing to, to do. Or they could say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't even realize that that happened. And I found that 85% of the time when I, I'm hurt by someone, that person has no idea that they've hurt me. And so I can walk around with this chip on my shoulder or this reason to not have to engage with this person because they did this thing that wronged me and they may not even be aware of it. So by assuming positive intent, going to that person, taking the step of saying, hey, this really hurt my feelings when this happened. I'm sure that wasn't your intention, but I wanted you to know, gives them the opportunity to either fill us in on what we didn't know about the situation or the dignity to apologize without being accused of something. This brings about flourishing. Israel struggled to be a blessing and struggled abiding, and we are not that different than them. We struggle constantly with the same things. When we are not abiding with God, it's possible to look healthy, to have leaves, but when you get close, there's no fruit. We see this in our lives, in our workplaces, in politics, and even in the church. In fact, there's such a pressure these days to make sure we're on the right side of all the issues and culture, that you check the right boxes, but that doesn't mean you're actually doing anything about the issues. We wanna look like good people, but are we actually bearing any fruit? Are we actually loving? Truly loving costs something. George always says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. There's always a cost, you know, a cost of, of our time showing up. You know, it's, you, you can't love one another if you're not showing up, if you're not present, if you're not abiding as a community. And it's so easy in the summer to get caught up in our plans and relaxation that we become disconnected from the practice of abiding in community and love with one another. Jesus is inviting us to abide in him, the source of life, back to God's plan for flourishing. And I wanna invite you this summer to lean into the practice of abiding. As we enjoy our relaxation and rest, let us not forget the practice of abiding in community. Imagine with me the fruit if we as a church practiced abiding, practiced loving each other with self-sacrificial love. Imagine the fruit, not just personal fruit, but relational fruit and community fruit. This is flourishing, but it requires abiding. In fact, apart from abiding in Jesus, it doesn't work. We can do nothing. Let's be a church that is known for the way that we love one another. Love you guys so much. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info at gardencitynw.com or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.